Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté, here with Max Blumenthal, and we are doing an update to a segment that you are about to watch and that we already recorded. Since we recorded, though, some major developments happened, so we wanted to jump back on and update you. The original segment is about a new piece that Max put out at the Gray Zone. It, it's about a new set of leaks from inside the British government that expose a massive propaganda campaign aimed at Russia involving major media outlets like the BBC, Reuters, as well as Bellingcat. Since the story came out a few days ago, something strange happened on Twitter. Just today, we learned that if you want to share the story, all of a sudden Twitter has added a new warning. It says these materials may have been obtained through hacking. This is a warning that I've never seen before. I think it was specifically created for this story, which raises the question of why and what that means. Well, joining me now is Max Blumenthal to discuss. Max, when you saw this warning, first of all, have you seen this kind of warning before? I've never seen this warning before, and I don't think anybody else has, and that's why it's become a viral meme. I mean, this article is getting shared at a rate of like five times a minute, maybe more, by you know gamers who are just memeing it because anytime you put the the link up, you could put any, you could add any photo or GIF or video you want, and then at the bottom of it, it says these materials may have been obtained through hacking. So it's it's just absolutely hilarious. But no, I've never seen it before and uh now it's become clear that this was part of the policy established in october in order to block people from seeing the new york post story on hunter biden and his corruption in ukraine which was also completely factual and was the result of basically democratic party elites just telling twitter like this is going to help trump win the election and you don't want that on your hands so just censor it and that's what they did and in this case they're putting a warning label to try to scare people away and it's completely backfired and turned the article into a meme this is my our first gray zone meme article it's like a, it might as well be like the doge coin of articles except it's like really reliable because it's it's just like a real true thing and uh, our our site traffic is overloaded. I mean, it's our number one day on the internet. So, thanks, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk about why they may have targeted this article specifically. It exposes a massive propaganda campaign by the British government and some major media players like Reuters and the BBC being involved, but also. I think the outrage here on the part of whoever is behind this attempt to stigmatize it is that it also exposes the imperial hypocrisy because for the last like four years, we've been hearing nonstop that Russia poses this existential threat to Western democracies by interfering with its social media bots and email hackers. And here you have leaks from inside the British government showing that Britain is doing to Russia exactly what it constantly accuses Russia of. And I think that narrative is unacceptable to the powers that be, and hence this need to stigmatize this article. Because again, when this article came out, there was no such label, and it only appeared a few days later after its release. Yeah, they, they created the article, just the, the, the label, just for my article. Uh, I feel really special. But uh, um, the article certainly threatened the imperatives of the UK and US national security state and all its imperial tentacles, which are extending eastward. 
it it clearly freaked people at Reuters out. I mean, we basically exposed the largest news network in the world, Reuters, as a intelligence contractor for the British state to conduct covert activities which are aimed at conducting information warfare on Russia. Reuters, I mean, we'll talk about it in the next part of this uh, conversation, which we had yesterday more in detail, but Reuters was basically training networks of Russian journalists, uh, cultivating them as influence networks inside Russia and in Russia's near abroad in order to quote unquote weaken Russia. It says that in a UK FCO document and the British foreign office which oversees the MI6, I should mention, was paying for it all. And we see Bellingcat being d- deployed like at the last second as an, like an emergency. Like it's like they, they brought them in in little para- parachute train uh, flights or something like it was, you know, World War II in France. They're, they're parachuting in Elliot Higgins and Eric Toller. But I, I mean, I'm sure they aren't really like rugged enough for that kind of activity, but these are Bellingcat guys. Yeah. These are, yeah. I mean, they're named in there. I mean, several Bellingcat staffers are named in these documents and they brought them into North Moldova. One of these kind of like abortions of a country that were created out of the balkanized carry on of Yugoslavia, which was destroyed by NATO. And they were having an election that would determine if they'd become an official NATO member. And they bring Bellingcat in to do training for a pro NATO news network, according to the document in North Macedonia, in North Macedonia. I mean, that's just what that, that, that goes way beyond what any Russian network does that I know of. I mean, it would be like the Russian foreign ministry sending in an outlet to an ostensibly independent outlet into like Georgia or South Carolina to support a uh, Republican pro Russian candidate. Uh, by training local media or something. I mean, that's, I I can't even think of any analogy for it. So the article is like clearly very threatening. I mean, I can imagine some, you know, preppy British guy covered in sweat running into, uh, you know, Twitter's offices screaming like, you must do something about this. Do you put up a label? Take it down, take it down. And, and, you know, Jack's there. And he, I mean, Jack, that's gotta be one of the, highest paying worst jobs to be jack like the amount of demands you get from people to just do something to appease all of these elites and uh he's probably just like all right man like we'll send you to our disinformation department and then they have some like atlantic council hack in there like these these wormy little like um millennial droids and they come up with some warning label with like twitter executives it's actually like not that funny because it's part of a gigantic campaign of social media censorship. And here you see Twitter acting in its true role as a US, UK, NATO regime propaganda site. Um, so stop, I mean, people should stop calling it a hell site. They're always like this, I woke up on this hell site. They should say, I woke up on this US, UK, NATO regime propaganda site and blah, blah, blah happened because that's what Twitter is. That's what it's been transformed into. Uh, perhaps, um, according to Yasha Levine's thesis in Surveillance Valley, that's what it was created to be. And now we see one of the most severe realizations 
of that theory or thesis with this warning label. Let's talk about the double standards here. It is quite possible, as the warning label says, that this material was hacked. The problem is, I don't think Twitter knows whether it was hacked. It could have been leaks. But even if it were hacks, it's interesting that an article that exposes Western imperial propaganda operations immediately gets slapped with this label of potentially being based on hacked material. But countless articles that are also based on hacked or potentially hacked or leaked materials don't get that label. So, for example, look at The Intercept. They've published a series of articles based on leaks from China showing mass surveillance and also in Iran, the Iran cable showing Iran's supposed control of Iraq and taking advantage of the Iraq war. And James Risen of The Intercept tried to pretend as if that was the main lesson of the Iraq wars that we gave a victory to Iran. But articles like that not only don't get that label of being based on hacked material, but they even get promoted on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's in the public interest to know that an outlet like the BBC with all the, uh, with its, its sterling reputation for editorial independence, despite being funded by the British taxpayer, has actually proposed to go into a conflict zone. I'm speaking of the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine, where thousands of Ukrainians have died in a civil conflict, which is actually a proxy war that's been imposed on eastern Ukrainians and its Russian-speaking pop speaking population by NATO, uh, that BBC has proposed to go in there and act on behalf of one side in that conflict, the Ukrainian government side and the pro-NATO side, uh, and escalate information warfare. It's one of the most irresponsible acts that I think any news organization or broadcasting entity could participate in. And that's revealed in these documents. And I think it's in the public interest to know that <clears throat> whether they were hacked or not. And the hacking, if it took place, it was a phishing operation where just somebody puts in password one, two, three, and then somebody gets access to their email as we saw with John Podesta. So there's no public interest in uh, the Twitter warning label. I mean, it's obviously all about suppression. They're not, people aren't learning anything from that. But and, if that, and, and the cool thing is actually people are being enticed all the more to read the article because people are like, oh, cool, I I'm not supposed to read this hack material. Great. So that's why people are clicking on it, I think, at rates that we yeah. at the Graceland haven't seen in a long time. I mean, it's the Streisand effect plus Zoomer memes. It's, it's pretty amazing. And uh, so it's completely backfired on these sort of national security state hacks. Um, Maybe everything they write should be labeled. This was published. This material was published by hacks. But anyway, um, I think the, the 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 point here is yes, there is a major double standard. This isn't the only article. If if this article that I wrote was published based on material gathered through a phishing operation, it wouldn't be the only one. And in fact, a CIA officer. CIA officer boasted to Yahoo News, I think it was late last year, that Donald Trump has let us take the gloves off, released us from all of the previous restrictions, and now we're turning into a version, like the CIA version of WikiLeaks. I think those were the exact words that officer used. And what we're doing is conducting hack and dump operations where we hack enemy states, uh, go after even their local governments or businesses that are, you know, tied to the government. 
and then dump the documents with uh, media and they can go to the media through third parties or even fourth parties. So we've seen the New York Times publish countless China leaks that implicate China and sort of back, uh, propel the narrative of China committing genocide in Xinjiang. We rarely ever see the original source materials. And when we have, often they are in very poor Chinese that looks like, you know, according to several native Chinese, Chinese speakers I've spoken to, uh, looks like it was put through Google Translate. The Intercept did a China leaks piece recently about uh, local police files in Urumqi in Xinjiang. And these didn't even provide the original source documents, just translations. The Intercept has also published Iran leaks, which advanced the U.S. and Israeli strategic imperatives against Iran, presenting Iran as the true imperialist force in Iraq, its neighbor, the Shia majority neighbor, and not the United States or Israel. And actually, an Intercept editor told me they had no idea where those leaks came from which meant, you know, they could have damn well been an Israeli Mossad hack or fabrications. But what we can say for certain is that they may have been materials that were procured as the result of hacking and definitely merited the same label. What about the Panama Papers? The International Consortium of, In of Investigative Journalists got the Panama Papers almost definitely through a hack. Um, why aren't, why, why isn't that reporting labeled? So, there's an obvious double standard. My reporting, our reporting at the gray zone, contravenes the strategic imperatives of these Western national security states and five eyes and all that. So we get the labels. The other side won't. It's very similar to how, um, you know, RT and CGTN got labels, uh, Russian state affiliated or Chinese state-affiliated media, but uh, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, which is the official propaganda arm of the U.S. government run under the broadcast board of governors in and across Europe, that was not labeled. So Twitter, again, is an arm. Well, it's not even an arm. It's a just a straight-up U.S. regime propaganda site. And I should also, well, I, I mean, there's so many details here, but there are is a figure who's a Twitter executive at their Middle East, who's in charge of Middle East policy for Twitter, overseeing everything that pertains to the Middle East. His name is Gordon McMillan. And until fairly recently on his LinkedIn, he removed this. It showed that he was a captain in the UK military's 77th Brigade, which is the official psychological warfare division of the UK military which is specifically engaged in social media operations, recruiting what it calls Facebook warriors to project the British state's narrative on social media and counter threats to it. So this is a figure who's operating under the watch of the very same shadowy unit, the counter disinformation and media development unit of the British foreign office that my article exposed. So Twitter's intimately connected to the forces that I expose in this article. And in that regard, I'm not surprised that this label was basically conjured up to try to scare people away from this reporting, this factual reporting. Aaron, I want to close with just a question um, because 
uh, I think it's important to put out there now and just put it on the record, which is this has become a, a major incident in that, that highlights social media censorship and the direction that social media is going and the trajectory of social media. The memeing of this article is something that's sort of unprecedented. And the contents of the article are absolutely incendiary and revelatory. So far, this in- incident has only been covered by Matt Binder at Mashable. And if the rest of the mainstream media or even progressive media just ignores it, that is a staggering and really depressing commentary on the state of our media as a whole. And so let's see if the media that covers the media dares to even touch this or shies away from it because of the explosive content of my reporting. It's a great question. I'm not too optimistic. Too many people have been enlisted in this Russiagate thing where people, where basically the fear of Trump was exploited to further demonize Russia on top of already a lot of propaganda directed towards it. And anything that could be ascribed to Russia was all of a sudden deemed to be non grata and not welcome and outside of acceptable opinion. And this is another attempt to do that here because this article challenges the core narratives that are used to sustain this new Cold War on Russia and in fact exposes the propaganda campaign that is used to wage that that new Cold War on Russia. I suspect that people who have been enlisted in Russiagate for a long time are not going to be willing to touch this, even though it's so far reaching and even though the implications affect them because everyone does or likes to do reporting based on leaked documents. And this is a precedent that unless it is challenged could come back to hurt anybody in the future doing the similar kind of reporting that you did here. And it'll show the massive gulf between these insular, opportunistic, careerist, elite media hacks and the rest of the public, which is lapping this article up and having a whole lot of fun with it as well. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the original segment. Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. In recent years, we have been flooded with a wave of fear mongering that supposed Russian interference poses a major threat to Western democracies. This is not part of American politics. This is not, you know, partisan warfare between Republicans and Democrats. This is international warfare against our country. Imagine if FDR uh, had denied that the Japanese attacked us at Pearl Harbor and, and didn't react. That's the equivalent. Well, it's a bit of a different thing. I mean, no, it's not. They didn't kill anyone. They didn't kill anyone, but they're destroying our democ- our, our country. Do you our really think it's on? You think it's on par? Not in the amount of violence, but I think in the, in the seriousness, it is very much on par. We, this country exists to have a democratic system with a small d. That's what the country's all about. And this is an attempt to destroy that. We have been uh, invaded in, in such a subtle way because we don't see planes hitting the buildings. We don't see bombs dropping in Pearl Harbor. But we have been invaded, as, as Malcolm points out. We are under attack, but we don't feel it. But it's like walking around with high blood pressure, and all of a sudden you're not aware of it, and you drop dead. Mm-hmm. So it's insidious, and it has affected our bloodstream. And if we don't do something about it, and that's why 
you know, guys like John Brennan and, and James Clapper running around with their hair on fire because they're trying to wake people up to tell them that we have to do something about it. We have to protect ourselves. And if we don't, our 241 years of democracy and self-governance will start to collapse. On top of the U.S., Russia's other main accuser is the British government. This, for example, is the then Prime Minister Theresa May speaking in November 2017. It is seeking to weaponize information, deploying its state-run media organizations to plant fake stories and photoshopped images in an attempt to sow discord in the West and undermine our institutions. So I have a very simple message for Russia. We know what you are doing and you will not succeed. Well, now, thanks to an extraordinary set of leaks from inside the British government, we have a damning window into what Britain is doing to Russia. Files from the British Foreign and Commonwealth Office show that the British government has enlisted major media outlets, including Reuters and the BBC, to participate in a series of propaganda campaigns aimed explicitly at weakening Russia. My colleague at the Gray Zone, Max Blumenthal, has a story in a new piece. It is called Reuters, BBC, and Bellingcat Participated in Covert UK Foreign Office-Funded Programs to Weaken Russia, Leaked Docs Reveal. Max, welcome to Pushback. Good to be with you. So this story you have is sort of the reverse of all the Russian fear-mongering we've been hearing for many years from NATO governments about sweeping Russian disinformation and inter interference in Western democracies. Talk about what these documents contain. Well, these documents appear to relate to programs that were designed and funded through the British Foreign Office's very shadowy counter disinformation and media development department, which I think sprung up as a result of the intrigue that took place on British soil around the Sergei Skripal poisoning and Theresa May's address, which was obviously drawn up for her, the MI6, the British Intelligence Services. And since late 2018, we've been learning a lot about the activities coming out of this department, the CDMD of the British Foreign Office, because of these leaks of documents. Um, the British Foreign Office is blamed on Russian hackers, of course. Who else would do it? And it's very possible that Russian hackers did obtain these documents. They were probably obtained through kind of a phishing operation where some idiot just put in their email password and then they all leaked out. But I don't know the source of it. But what I do know is that the public has been learning a lot about British activities vis-a-vis -vis Russia and in this case, I think this is these are some of the most significant leaks that we've seen since the Integrity Initiative, a covert British Foreign Office-funded military intelligence-run troll farm and media influence network was exposed in December 2018. We wrote about it at the Gray Zone in 2019. And these uh, initiatives that I just wrote about, reported on, are directly related. I mean, it's under the auspices of the same shadowy department. And here we learn that the BBC and Reuters, two of the biggest media organizations on the planet and the most esteemed, were functioning basically as intelligence cutouts. 
and putting bids out for pro basically proposals solicited by the CDMD of the British Foreign Office calling for weakening the Russian state's influence, uh, helping the UK Foreign Office get its message out in Russia, and to cultivate influence networks within Russian media and in Russia's near abroad in the Baltic states and Eastern Europe and Central Asia. Um, these are remarkable documents. That, and it goes well beyond the BBC and Reuters. We see other media organizations enlisted, including Bellingcat, you've written about extensively um, with respect to the propaganda that they've blasted out around Syria and chemical attacks. Um, but here we see them, um, according to one document by a British intelligence contractor, the Zinc Network, being essentially enlisted to interfere in the North Macedonia election, which would determine whether this new country would become a part of NATO and the EU. And they're brought in to conduct training for pro-NATO pro media outlet called the Most Network inside North Macedonia. But then you have Reuters training hundreds of Russian journalists to produce, quote, attitudinal changes to make them more pro-British and then to send them back to uh, Russia or to countries in Russia's periphery um, to produce pro-NATO media. Um, you have documents showing British intelligence contractors working in a consortium with the BBC or Reuters uh, to actually go into Russia and establish uh, networks of YouTube influencers to pay them covertly to help them shape editorial content or to actually take pre-existing networks uh, like Medusa, which is a very popular uh, media among Russian opposition supporters, and or, or Media Zona, which was founded by two members of the art kind of performance art collective Pussy Riot, and to basically help them professionalize, to help them design their content, to even game Google search results in their favor and against RT. This is all stated explicitly in these documents. What you have is a really remarkable revelation of the UK's activities inside Russia, uh, doing things that the exact same thing that they accuse Russia of doing. And, you know, we have hard evidence, whereas what we have in the UK is mostly accusations, rumor, and, uh, you know, reporting by these very same outlets like Bellingcat. We can go into more detail about what Bellingcat has actually done. But these documents raise serious, settling questions about some of the recent in incidents and intrigues that have brought Russian relations with the West to uh, an absolute nadir since the Cold War. I mean, uh, um, Russian foreign minister Sergei Lavrov has said that Ru Russian relations are absolutely ruptured with the EU. And that's a result of the intrigues in Alexei Navalny, this Russian opposition figure. But here you have documents showing British intelligence contractors boasting that they activated content to support the 2018 telegram protests in Russia, which were co-sponsored by Alexei Navalny. 
and you see the relationship between that very intelligence contractor, the Zinc Network, and Bellingcat, which it lists as part of its uh, network of NGOs, then you see Bellingcat working with Navalny to place the blame for his alleged poisoning on the Russian FSB intelligence services. You have documents showing interference of the BBC actually working to amplify pro-NATO media in the Donbass region, which is a conflict region in eastern Ukraine. Um, they say that we should focus there. Then you have uh, discussions about supporting pro-NATO media in Belarus ahead of the Belarus quasi-color revolution that aimed to remove its president. So all of these unsettling questions are raised through these documents about the activities and intrigues in Russia and around its periphery. And we don't have clear answers there, but what we can say concretely is absolutely, Britain is interfering inside Russia in a way that um, is much more aggressive than Russia has been doing inside the UK, as far as we know. Right, because what we know about Russia meddling inside the UK is not very impressive. There was one review by Facebook that found that the Russian network RT spent a grand total of 97 cents on ads promoting its coverage surrounding Brexit. And then there was this last year, there was this big parliamentary commission that looked exhaustively into allegations of Russian meddling and found no evidence. And instead of just acknowledging that there was no evidence, the inquiry tried to shift and cover up for that fact by claiming that intelligence officials didn't properly do their job and look for the evidence because they didn't want to see it. The report reveals that no one in government knew if Russia interfered in or sought to influence the referendum because they did not want to know. The UK government have actively avoided looking for evidence that Russia interfered. Which is strange because, because of how much effort the UK intelligence services spend on Russia as these leaked docs display. One aspect that I found interesting was how explicit some of these documents were about how they didn't want to be discovered. You mentioned the YouTube influencers that the UK helped support. We don't know who exactly who they are, but one thing they said was that they bragged about the fact that they took efforts to cover up their external sources of funding. Yeah, they're throughout these documents, they're marked private and confidential. The two contracts that I screenshotted uh, between to the Tom Reuters Foundation, which is the nonprofit wing of the Reuters news organization, and the British Foreign Office are marked uh, private and confidential. Uh, both Reuters and the British Foreign Office discuss uh, potential risk uh, in their risk assessment. They mark as you know high risk uh, the exposure of these documents and the damage that it could do to the um, British government's reputation in Eastern Europe. And so they clearly recognize that the, these programs have to be kept secret. This is a clandestine activity. These are covert programs, just like the Integrity Initiative that I mentioned earlier. And they, as you said, the Zinc Network, which is a British intelligence contractor that is being used to run a lot of these programs covertly, it's a mechanisms to pay Russian YouTube influencers. Who were those YouTube influencers, by the way? Well, I mean, we know who your YouTube influencers are, and the thing that they 
have had the most success with is anti-corruption. There is corruption in Russia. There's corruption in the Russian government, just like every major government. And cor corruption is a major problem in Russia since the 1990s uh, with the rise of oligarchy and its penetration of all government institutions. So Alexei Navalny is the most popular and successful and creative, let's give him credit, YouTube influencer in Russia. Was he among this, within this network? Well, we don't know, but it raises certain questions, um, particularly because of the video that was released by Russia's FSB intelligence service. It basically admitted that it was following Navalny and his inner circle, Vladimir Ashurkov, who is the head of Navalny's anti-corruption foundation, was followed by the British FSB, by the Russian FSB. They ran a sting on him, and I think the video comes from 2013. They filmed him meeting a British intelligence agent, one who was apparently from the MI6, working under the cover of the British embassy in Moscow, the same embassy that was organizing these training programs with Reuters and the BBC and all these other groups. And they were sitting there in a restaurant and Ashurkov asks the British MI6 officer for 20, 10 to $20 million. He said, if you give us this money, you'll see a real change on the ground. If we had more money, we would be, we would expand our activities, of course, with uh, a little money. If somebody would spend, I don't know, 20 million dollars a year on supporting this, we would see quite different picture. And this is, uh, you know, not a big amount of money for people who have billions at stake in this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the message that I'm trying to project in my you know, fundraising efforts and talking to people in business community and so on. Yeah, we yeah. need to play on different chessboards. Yeah. Mass protests, civil initiatives. Establishing contacts with the elite and explaining to them that we are reasonable people and not uh, we're not going to demolish everything and take away their yeah, assets. Yeah. Like so we can't say for sure that the British. I mean, the the, the um, agent he was speaking to didn't authorize it. He said, "Well, we have another program through Transparency International, another one of these NGOs that focuses that functions as an intelligence cutout." And maybe we can do something there. We don't see him authorizing the payment, but we can clearly see people on these inner circle angling for massive amounts of financial and logistical support from the British intelligence apparatus. And beyond, I mean, since Navalny's arrest and since this uh, poisoning intrigue, Ashurkov has been holding meetings with NATO officials demanding that they sanction Russia that they impose economic penalties on the Russian state for taking down his political boss. So I think you know all of these questions are certainly not only valid, but more relevant than ever in light of these documents. Yeah, and just to stress this, Ashurkov, he was listed in previously leaked documents from the Integrity Initiative, right, as a subgroup member. What's the significance of that? Well, the Integrity Initiative operated behind, under the cover of a thing called the Institute for Statecraft, which was sort of a non-entity in London. 
It also operated through a dummy office in Fife, Scotland, which was actually an abandoned paper mill. And so they took serious measures to cover up the very existence of the Integrity Initiative. It turned out its budget was all being funneled through the same mechanisms of these various programs through the counter disinformation and media development department of the British Foreign Office. It was also funded for reason by Facebook. It was funded by the Smith Richardson Foundation, which funds a lot of neoconservative think tanks in Washington. And it was receiving, I think, some support from, it might have been the US State Department as well. But what they did, which was significant, was they would set up these covert clusters of journalists and political figures who they considered influencers in each country. And their goal was basically two-prong. Number one, to take down any political official or influential public figure who was advocating better relations between the West and Russia. And number two, to, in their words, make influential people see the big picture of Russia being the greatest threat to the West and essentially convincing people in power to turn up the heat on Russia and ramp up military spending, which would be basically a kickback to the figures behind this think tank who worked within the British military. And so Zhirkov was named among the uh, UK cluster, which was the largest cluster of influencers. People there were like, what, Ed Lucas, Bill Browder, um, uh, Ann Applebaum, familiar figures within the anti-Russian public uh, pundits. Shoff was a name that we kind of didn't really recognize at the time as being particularly significant. But with the Navalny interest, now we, we see that there's a deeper connection to this fairly newfangled initiative of the British state, which is all about not only interfering in Russia, but uh, creating, generating more friction with Russia within uh, the European intelligentsia. Yeah, and one of the ways they do that is by accusing Russia of doing the very same thing that they are doing. And as these leaks show, doing in a really extensive scale. They don't even pretend that they're just trying to combat so-called Russian interference in Western democracies. There's the explicit goal to, quote, weaken the Russian state's influence on its near neighbors. So basically going into Russia's neighborhood and meddling. Yeah, I mean, there was so much I couldn't even write about because there wasn't, but what you see in these documents, particularly from the Zing work and the other intelligence contractors, this dedication to media pluralism. And that sounds good. It sounds very democratic. They constantly talk about advancing democratic values. But what they're actually seeking to do is set up new media networks and even generate media programming that isn't news related, including soap operas, TV dramas, comedy, public theater, anything to create pro-NATO sentiment among the population. And if this ultimately amounts to paying news networks, journalists covertly and providing them with technical training, or as we saw with Bellingcat's intervention in North Macedonia, coming in and providing uh, the training on Bellingcat's uh, hallmark techniques of you know open source investigation, 
which often entails just like more sophisticated Google searches, but, you know, helping the journalists on one side against what they consider to be Kremlin influence, but really what the, what the Kremlin influence is, is that there's this large Russian speaking population, Baltics in Ukraine, all around Russia's traditional sphere of influence, and they have an affinity for Russia. And so they watch Russian state media, or they will watch uh, the networks that belong to uh, Medvedchuk, the uh, multimillionaire, three television networks, which were opposition TV channels, were just pulled off the air in Ukraine by its government with the full-throated endorsement of the U.S. State Department. I mean, a blackout on opposition media in a supposedly democratic country with the full-throated endorsement of the U.S. State Department fits perfectly into the picture that we see here with these uh, documents called media pluralism. They don't actually want media pluralism. They want more pro-media under independent guise backed by the British state, and I assume the U.S. is involved as well. And I think it's important to mention two of the key outlets that they, uh, the Zinc Network, the British intelligence contractor, says that it's providing logistical support to. Media Zona, which was funded by two f- members of Pussy Riot, and Medusa, which is, I mean, it's it's not only popular among the you know, Russian speaking pro-opposition camp, but it's read in US kind of Russia watcher circles because they have a lot of English coverage. So this is significant. Are these aren't independent? And if we were engaged in this kind of activity at the gray zone, it would be like on Rachel Maddow. Like it would be on the front page of the New York Times. The uh, fact that Reuters which most people in the world know as a supposed independent news agency, the fact that they are directly involved in this, they confirm to you their participation in a statement to you, right? Yeah. I mean, it was an implicit confirmation, but one that they certainly didn't deny it. In my email, I presented them with the allegations. So what does that say that such a major news organization, along with the BBC as well, is taking part in this propaganda campaign? Well, in the 1960s and 70s, at the height of the Cold War, Reuters was an intelligence cutout for the British M6. They were being funded covertly by the British state to carry out anti-Soviet news pains in Latin America. And this confirms that the same program is underway uh, in the new Cold War. And when that story came out, it was because of declassified documents were just naturally declassified. They weren't leaked or hacked or anything. It's just they come out at like 50 years in the UK or it was a freedom of information request. And Reuters uh, was asked by the media through a spokesperson to respond. And they said, we no longer conduct this kind of activity today. Uh, and we will refer you to our principles which affirm our commitment to independence and editorial integrity and the public trust. And so what we see here with these documents is Reuters just lying, deceiving the public about its relationship with the British state. I mean, in the proposals that they put forward 
to the British Foreign Office, they boast about having run previous British Foreign Office funded tours to produce attitudinal change among Russian journalists. They boast about setting up networks. They So they've confirmed that this isn't just a proposal, but they have a long record of secret collaboration with the British state. And the spokesperson who responded to my email query said that this wasn't secret at all, that we receive a wide range of support from public and private sources. But it's definitely news to me. It's news to everybody. It was news to really everybody except uh, Iranians who follow our work. I received a number of responses on Twitter from Iranians who said, well, they actually, we know they've been doing this in Iran for a while and even named Reuters staff who train Iranian journalists. And, and I mean, it seems, I mean, the, the, it, it is open. It is an open public fact that Reuters hosts workshops for Russian journalists. But in one of their documents, they state that a workshop they were hosting where they t- took UK foreign office money to f- Russian journalists to London to train them and hold public workshops uh, took place in the midst of the Sergei Skripal poisoning affair. And they were concerned about the damage that it could possibly do to British relations if Russia knew that this shop was supported by the basically the British embassy in Moscow was supporting it. And so they took risk assessment measures. And they said that they were working constantly to maintain security of th- those seminars with Russian journalists. So Reuters acknowledges that this is going to be seen extremely unfavorably by the Russian government. Like they, they acknowledge that in these documents, but they don't acknowledge that openly. And they don't tell the public openly that this is being funded by the British, by a part of the British government that oversees the MI6. So that should lead us to a understanding of coverage in general, but particularly as it relates to States where the West seeks regime change. I uh, mean, we've covered Venezuela a lot at the gray zone, and I noticed the most aggressively pro-regime change coverage of Venezuela comes from Reuters Venezuela department. Hmm. And I mean, e- e- every day they're publishing pieces that not only demonize Venezuela's government, but that seem like the kind of anti-corrupt investigations that the State Department wouldn't be able to cover, carry out on its own. And so it does so, you know, basically these journalistic proxies. And they're always publishing pieces about, you know, with with inside information on Venezuela's oil industry, on its state oil uh, company, Evesa, which is really a key target of Western intelligence. They want to break the power of PDVSA to fund Venezuela's government and its social programs. So they're always publishing on that. I don't know how they get that information. I mean, whenever it's to states where the West seeks regime change, Syria, Venezuela, Russia, China, published a really favorable, I mean, I wouldn't even favorable, fawning profile of Elliot Higgins and Bellingcat. There's always one line as the British Foreign Office. Uh, then we have to ask what they, we have to look at what they don't cover. They don't cover the powerful forces in their immediate midst because they don't want a hand that feeds them. And the same goes for the BBC. 
So when Jeremy Corbyn was basically being destroyed in what amounts to a very British coup with intelligence participation, we saw the Integrity Initiative uh, when it was operating under cover of the Institute for Statecraft, amplifying attacks on Jeremy Corbyn with fire from the British Foreign Office. It should have been a titanic scandal, but also the fake anti-Semitism witch hunt against Jeremy Corbyn. All of the, these coordinated, concerted attacks, uh, the Pentagon-funded attack through um, FICA to paint Jeremy Corbyn as a Russian agent or someone who was being assisted by the Russian state. None of these attacks were covered by the BBC as such. Instead, they were amplified. And so now we can see why they, the British state, I mean, we know the British state funds the BBC, but these organizations cannot credibly claim to be independent. Well, and speaking of which, let's talk a bit more about Bellingcat. Elliot Higgins, the founder of Bellingcat, is in the midst of this publicity bonanza for his new book, ghostwritten or co-authored by a ghostwriter and who happens to be a novelist. And it's interesting to look at the coverage of Bellingcat during this publicity tour. Literally, I cannot find anywhere in all these fawning media profiles that you referenced any mention of the basic fact that Bellingcat is funded by the National Endowment for Democracy a CIA cutout that intends to do regime change and destabilization around the world. It's just, you cannot mention that fact. You also can't mention things that have thrown Bellingcat's credibility into question, such as, for example, his work on the OPCW scandal, where we at the Gray Zone exposed them publishing basically false information in an attempt to dox and smear one of the whistleblowers. There's also been leaked documents from the Zinc Network that UK cutout you mentioned earlier, that actually cast major doubt on Bellingcat internally. Uh, one document says that Bellingcat, quote, was somewhat discredited both by spreading disinformation itself and by will and by being willing to produce reports for anyone willing to pay. That's an internal assessment of the Zinc network uh, of Bellingcat that we only know about because it was leaked as well. I guess I'm wondering your reflections on this uh, current publicity tour for Elliot Higgins and Bellingcat and just the gap between the reality of Bellingcat and the way it's reported so uh, with so much praise in the Western media. Well, the positive publicity that Bellingcat receives an absolute refusal of Western media, at least the major corporate networks or the so-called public broadcasters like BBC to report on the context of Bellingcat. Con context points like the fact that they're substantially funded by the National Endowment for Democracy, which is at the heart of the U.S. regime change machine, was spun out of Ronald Reagan's CIA in order to do what the CIA used to do covertly out in the open, and that Bellingcat plays this vicious role as an attack dog for NATO state operations, uh, whether it's attacking witnesses and uh, critical journalists around the MH17 trial or uh, working to get my uh, events canceled at various venues around the world through its contributors and staff. They play this multifaceted role in advancing the agenda of a new Cold War, particularly against Russia. I mean, they haven't really acted against China yet, but it's obvious what their agenda is. 
So there's this piece by Luke Harding, who you pretty really exposed just by having 30 minutes to do a QA with him as a complete fraudmeister uh, p- promoting Higgins. I mean, who else would be promoting him in their book? And the headline is, uh, people say I'm a CIA agent or something like that. And it's trying to take that narrative off the table without ending it. It's sort of darking it away and making him seem like a victim of crazy conspiracy theorists. It's also what, you know, conspiracy theorists might call limited hangout, where you acknowledge some of the narrative in order to do away with the real damaging content of it. We can see that Elliot Higgins, I mean, I don't think that Elliot Higgins was brought into Langley and they said, let's, uh, you know, let's sign up, bruh. I mean, we can see through these documents what Bellingcat is doing. I don't even, I don't even need to speculate where we can see what they're allegedly doing. I mean, I don't, I wonder what their response is here. They were listed first privately in private and confidential documents by the zinc network, which was, is a, a, a British intelligence contractor. It's been involved in all sorts of sorted covert programs domestically in the UK, uh, against Muslims as part of this de-radicalization prevent uh, strategy, but also internationally against Russia and its near abroad. And it was listed in a document from 2018 called simply a network of NGOs technical proposal. They were listed alongside, guess who? The Institute for Statecraft, the Front Organization for the Integrity Initiative, and the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Hub, which you know is funded by NATO the arms industry and all of the other Atlantic Council funders we know and love. After that document came out, then Higgins went on Twitter and kind of, without acknowledging it directly, said, I'm looking forward to getting things rolling with the o- open information partnership with the Zinc Network and, D- and the Digital Forensic Lab. So he he was kind of trying to get out ahead of the narrative. Um, and then one of his staff members, Christian Prebert, who now is the head of the New York Times video investigation unit, said that you know the program was simply a proposal and it merely related to various training programs. And you know, Bellingcat says that it earns about 50% of its budget through training programs. For example, they went into the Intercept and conducted training for Intercept staff on you know open all this open source investigation they do where they do tricky Google searches and learn how to use Google Earth and everything. Um, these these uh, training seminars, they cost like 2,500 a head. So it's basically a way of Piero Midiar, who's also listed in these Reuters documents of giving money to Bellingcat. So what they failed to mention at Bellingcat about the training sessions and the Zinc Network partnership was that according to this one uh, Zinc Network document, and I'll read it off. It's titled Redeploying Staff to Respond to the 2019 North Macedonia Elections. These were elections in a one of these new balkanized countries that was cut out of like five other countries after Yugoslavia was destroyed by NATO. And they were having an election which was going to decide if they were part of NATO or the EU. And so the FCO the Foreign and Commonwealth Office of the UK identified North Macedonia as a priority country early on in the project. 
and they identified a media outlet, the most network in the country. So they deployed a team to basically assist that network, to build them up and make them a force in influencing the population support, apparently, of the pro-NATO candidate. So who did they bring in? Over two weeks, our team and consortium partners, including DFR, DFR Lab, the Digital Forensic Research Lab of the Atlantic Council, and Bellingcat, provided cybersecurity training, mentoring on digital forensics, open source investigation, and media ethics. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really ethical over at Bellingcat. So basically, the, the British Foreign Office called Bellingcat in there, according to this document. That stands at odds with this claim of independence, and it really highlights why Bellingcat never will mess with the real, this powerful force, the imperial force that's standing right there in their midst, which is their supporter, the British Foreign Office and the US government. Guys also pretend to be lefties or progressives who live in the West. And they demonize us because we actually criticize and scrutinize our own governments in an air this is like where we can actually produce change and they try to suggest that we somehow are you know this kremlin influence op when in fact this is what they really are so you i mean you challenged official narrative the duma deception the idea that there was a chemical attack in a 2018 in the eastern suburbs of Damascus. It was obvious from the beginning that this was a, uh, a sham narrative, but then once you know the OPCW whistleblowers started speaking out, he started you know, writing about their testimony and exposing how their uh, field investigation was covered up under pressure from powerful Western states, the US, on this organization this multilateral organization, then Bellingcat started attacking you. And Bellingcat produced a document that was supposed to discredit everything you wrote, which turned out to be a gigantic fraud. Where did they get that document from? And where did Bellingcat get the passport information and the surveillance data of the supposed perpetrators of the Skripal attack from? This wasn't open source investigation. Yeah. 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 And where did the BBC get their supposed OPCW source who recycled the same debunked fraudulent claims as Bellingcat when the BBC put out this recent podcast attacking the OPCW whistleblowers, trying to whitewash the white helmets, attacking you and attacking Roger Waters. And even hiring someone as their researcher who worked for a UK government uh, cutout, uh, ARC, which was heavily involved in, in rebranding the White Helmets and the so-called rebels in Syria and trying to portray them to the public as freedom-loving Democrats when in reality they were, uh, as you like to call them, uh, Wahhabi Contras. And in fact, let's maybe end on that, talking about the Syria component here, because before this, there was a whole bunch of leaks from the same UK foreign office that Ben Norton uh, reported on at the Gray Zone, massive files showing just the extent of PR that was put into whitewashing the dirty war on Syria. Let's end with your comments on that. Sure, but 
you know, if you're watching this and you're getting a little lost in the details, I think it's important to just step back, read the article, and consider that these major media organizations, which are presented to all of us, but also university students, journalism students, as the gold standard of journalism, are being substantially exploited and are basically infiltrated by the intelligence services and will not produce critical coverage of the governments and the, the intelligence agencies doing it. Uh, this should be a major scandal, but because so much of mainstream and corporate media has been co-opted by the military intelligence apparatus, the national security state, there's no one there to expose that scandal. And that's why we're doing what we do. And that's why these stories are left up to us to report. Um, ben Norton reported the last one of these stories based on leaks from what appears to be the same source that obtained all these documents. And they call themselves anonymous. There are so many hacker collectives that call themselves anonymous. It's just kind of a, a, a sort of a byword for hacker now. We don't even know who they are. But Ben did a masterful job of synthesizing all these documents and showing how they really provide the hard receipts for so much of the reporting that we've been doing over the years on the Syria deception, this massive multi-million dollar campaign to cultivate support for regime change in the West, in, in Syria. Ben showed one of these, well, basically that the same group of intelligence contractors that we see participating in this campaign to weaken Russian influence in its near abroad was also heavily involved in Syria. One of them is Albany, Albany Communications. I didn't mention them in this interview yet, but there are many documents in this latest tranche of files that come from Albany's bids to the British Foreign Office to conduct operations in the Baltics. And Ben reported that Albany had secured the participation of an extensive local network in Syria of 50, over 55 stringers, reporters, and videographers to influence media narratives and to advance Western regime goals in Syria. And one of the things they did was rebranding the so-called rebels, the Wahhabi Contras of the Free Syrian Army, which the CIA was supporting to the tune of several billion dollars every year, arming and training them, and to sort of like de-extremify their image. To re they, they literally created a new visual brand for the FSA and then used it to promote it uh, locally in the Arab world and internationally. Um, but it went far beyond just uh, 55 stringers. In the end, there were thousands of stringers. Uh, they claimed these the consortium of intelligence contractors claimed credit for producing hundreds of stories in many of the outlets that you know, constitute the Western mainstream media as well as Al Jazeera. And that was really just the tip of the iceberg because these documents only led up to 2016. And, you know, 2016 was when the White Helmets entered the public consciousness because of the uh, Syrian Russian military's operation to liberate Aleppo from a collection of Salafi Jihadi 
militants. And the white helmets were there providing all the coverage on the ground. And, you know, that's when I published my report about how they were funded by the British Foreign Office and the U.S. State Department. And, uh, you know, what these documents give us is hard evidence of not only how regime change uh, policy is shaped, but how information warfare is conducted not just in Russia or in Syria, but on us. On us. I mean, we're the ultimate targets of it. Because in putative Western liberal democracies, it's really important to cultivate the support of the liberal intelligentsia, the, the, you know, the, especially the young people working in the media, to prevent more people from going off the reservation like I did. And that's why I feel such a commitment to showing our readers what's taking place the ultimate targets and uh their psyche can be the ultimate victim they can turn to supporters of war and still believe that they're progressives who care about human rights the article is called reuters bbc and bellingcat participated in covert uk foreign office funded programs to weaken russia leak docs reveal max blumenthal thanks very much Thanks a lot.